In our message today, which is titled Surrounded, it is the last of uh, four messages that are based uh, in and around the 10th chapter of Hebrews, and I just want to read a few verses to you. Uh, It starts in verse 35. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. So far, the reading of God's word. I'm going to go out on a limb a little bit and suggest to you that the best days of your life were days when you were experiencing the very presence of God and you were walking in victory and you were accomplishing your calling. And I'm going to go a little bit further to say not only were those some of your best days, but these seasons have a common denominator. You were probably actively involved in what we would call a a community of faith, otherwise church. In church, you experience that presence of God together with the family. You walk in victory together, not alone. Uh, You accomplish your calling as individuals and as a church. Very important that you're involved in a community of faith. Now, I'm not just talking about going to church. I'm talking about being in relationship with other people, like the people who are sitting next to you today or in front of you or in back of you, who walked with you, who worked with you, who prayed with you, who shared the wins and the losses with you. And I would say that during those seasons, as you did this all together, probably this was in life seemed best. The common thread has been your connection to other people, Christ followers in your church. Now, conversely, maybe some of the worst seasons of your life, days when you struggled with doubt, Uh, Days when you struggled with uncertainty, uh, when you struggled with being obedient, when you struggled to be faithful in your calling. I think those days also probably had a common denominator. And it was probably during these seasons that you were not involved in a closely connected community of faith. Days for some reason, some season, you chose to separate yourself from brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, again, I'm not really talking about church attendance. Now, I've been in church most every Sunday since the day I was born. I just don't even know what it's like to not go to church on a Sunday. But I also will tell you that I have not always been closely connected to other Christians. Too many times I have been like this guy. I have been the Lone Ranger. Out there all by myself. But what I quickly discovered was I was missing one important ingredient. I was missing Tonto. Yes, there are times when I tried to endure all that life brought to me all by myself. You know, I'm a big boy. I can take care of myself. I can handle this. I've got the education and on and on. When I've tried to make my own decisions, tackle problems on my own, face the future on my own. And guess what? It just never really works. It's not supposed to work, though, either, because that's how God made us. He made us to be together in community. He made us to live in community with one another. Now, in today's culture, the possibility is greater than ever before for us to live isolated 
and detached lives. I mean, many of you know you probably actually have more friends on Facebook than you actually have friends. Now, that may kind of sound odd, but you know, when I look at my Facebook page sometimes and I say that I've got 545 friends, I look at that list sometimes and it's like, I don't even know who some of these people are. And I don't have much relationship with them. And guess what? You can be friends with people thousands of miles away, but never have to interact with them. And they don't interact with you. But see, we were not made to live in isolation. We were made to live in a community, a community of believers. And it's especially true of Christians. In order to thrive spiritually, we need to be connected to other people. Uh, We need to share our lives with other people. We need to be surrounded by fellow believers who are as committed to us as we are to them. John Wesley, one of the founders of the Methodist Church, said, The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. In other words, kind of a do-it-all-by-yourself kind of religion. Now, in spite of that, there are an awful lot of people who try to live out their faith solitarily, Outside the Christian community. In fact, I met such a man this last week. I've actually met him on a couple of different occasions because I happen to wear a prison T-shirt when I work out at the gym. Uh, he struck up a conversation. We talk about prison ministry. And this last time he, when I asked him which church he went to, he says, well, I don't go to church. I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. He said, I just got tired of churches that do nothing but just build more and build more. I I, I have no need for a church at this time in my life. And I thought, how sad. I've had people who have told me before, you know, I don't need to come to church to worship. I can worship at home. I can worship on the golf course. I can worship out on the lake. I can listen to sermons online. You know, but every time somebody says, I can worship on the golf course, my response is always, well, do you? You may use God's name on the golf course, but I'm not so sure it might be worshipful. Uh, and you could listen to sermons online, but the question is, do you? Uh, you know, people say, why do I need to go to a church building? Now, it, that's a very valid question. Why do we need to go to church? Well, another famous person is Bill Gates. Bill Gates uh, was interviewed not long ago in Time magazine, and he stated more than once that he believes in God that he sees great value in religion. And in an interview, he said, quote, in terms of allocation of time resources, religion is not very efficient. There's a lot more I could be doing on a Sunday morning. Now, he's not totally unlike a lot of people. I don't know whether you know it or not, but the county that you live in, Palo Pinto County and your adjoining county, Parker County, is one of the Highest, un, uh, highest unchurched counties in Texas. But a lot of people also, according to statistics, when they do the census and stuff like that, claim to be Christian. They just don't go to church. Now, I'm not having a go at Mr. Gates. Uh, I'm not interested in really criticizing him. In fact, I greatly admire him for the good that he does with his foundation he and his wife uh, do throughout the world. But I, I would disagree with him on this point. See, I believe, you know, religion, and I really don't like that word. I'm not really interested in religion, because religion is spelled D-O. Not interested in that. I am interested in relationship, which is spelled D-O-N-E. It's done. Jesus has done it all. But I I believe in being uh, involved in a community of Christians. 
It's an excellent allocation of time resources. In fact, I'd say that if you're not connected in some way to other believers, you're probably not making the very best use of your time, and you're not getting the most out of your life. See, now this is the last week in this series called Glory Days. We've been talking about how to make our time as Christ followers the best time of our life. Now, in our final session today, we're going to talk about the principle of reciprocity. Now, you might say, now, where did that word come from? Well, when you're going to preach a four-part series and they all start with R, you come up with some interesting words at times. So we're going to do reciprocity today. And, you know, what does that mean? Well, it's the practice of exchanging things with others for mutual benefit. I mean, that's one of the key advantages of being connected with other people in prayer groups, in Bible study groups, uh, in worship together. We have an opportunity to exchange things with others for mutual benefit. We can gather together to build one another up in the faith. Now, I say that in spite of the fact that many people look at church as a place to get their needs met. I've asked people, why do you go to church? Well, I go there to get my needs met. But guess what? If that's your attitude, you go there to get your needs met. If the music or the sermon doesn't hit you in the right spot, guess what you'll find yourself saying? I'm not getting fed. I've heard that one before. People tell me that. I just said, you know, are you still a baby or what? I mean, if you can't feed yourself, you know, come on, grow up. Get out of the high chair. Quit gumming the, the mush. You know, get some solid stuff going. Or they'll say, I'm not getting what I need. Maybe I should move on. Now, I pastored a pretty large church in central Illinois, and there were four LCMS churches in that community. And I know people who moved from one church to another church to another church and another church. They just kept going around and around in a circle because their needs were not being met at the previous church. They were not being fed. Sad. They try to find the perfect place where their little spiritual tummies will get full and they can remain fat, 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 fat little babies and they will have their little spiritual diapers changed periodically. Sorry, that's my rant for the morning. Uh, But the problem is that no church can ever offer you complete satisfaction. So every year, those kind of people, they just get disgruntled and they move on to another place. That's why I say every... Church is made up of two different kinds of people, pillars and caterpillars. Pillars are the ones who actually hold the church up and keep it going. Caterpillars just crawl in and out when they feel like it. Now, let me make this clear. You should go to church. You should. You ought to go where you are fed spiritually. And quite honestly, if if there's nothing spiritual in some church you'd ever go to, I don't know why. I wouldn't waste my time. But if your attitude is only, you know, gimme, 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 You'll never be satisfied in any church, no matter how big it is or how slick their services are or how famous their pastor might be. But see, when people talk about getting their spiritual needs met, they often overlook one of the greatest needs of all, and that is in order to thrive, you need to be needed. You need to be plugged into some sort of a group who not only meets your spiritual needs, but whose spiritual needs you are able to meet for other people as well. 
I mean, that's why, you know, Bible study groups are great. Small home team groups are great. You can get together with other people, and they feed you, and you feed them. It's kind of like a mutual admiration society done spiritually. Now, we've been looking at Hebrews 10 uh, for four weeks, and I think the last little section gives us four good reasons why it's a good idea to make sure we hang in there, even in the tough times. And somebody actually... Uh, suggested to me a week or so ago that it seemed like a lot of these sermons were being preached, especially for St. Mark's, as we kind of go through times of transition, and that we don't all get caught up in worrying about our good old days, but to realize that the best is yet to come. Well, you caught me, Skippy. (laughs) Yeah, I've been kind of thinking a lot about St. Mark's, but I think it's a great reason to kind of hang there together, to say the best We've had great times. Look back at the past and say, they've been, but understand the best can still be. Now, these are four ways in which this principle of reciprocity needs to be at work in our lives. So let's take a look at it. Number one, we need to encourage one another. If you go back and read, and hopefully you've been reading chapter 10. I've been reading it almost continuously, but in chapter 10, verse 25, it says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Now, all that's just saying, the writer to the book of Hebrews has said, guess what, there are a lot of people whose names are on the books. They just don't, they're just not there very often. And he said, we shouldn't do that. I mean, we shouldn't be just crawling in or out. You know, but let us encourage one another. You know, to me, it's always, it's a great encouragement. (laughs) That's going to sound kind of odd, but as a pastor, it's always encouraging to me when actually someone shows up. Can you imagine what it would be like to be a pastor and you walked out and there wasn't a single person in church? Well, I suppose there are some people who say, well, I'm greatly encouraged when you show up. Well, we encourage one another. Now, a report from the National Institute of Mental Health uh, arrived at this conclusion. It said many of our daily conversations are actually mutual counseling sessions whereby we exchange the reassurance and advice that help us deal with routine stresses. You get together, you sit and talk. On a number of occasions in the last couple of months, I've spent some time at a local coffee shop with some young pastors. And they had some specific questions, but we sometimes just sat around and talked about ministry. And really all of it was, was kind of a mutual counseling session. We were reassuring each other. We were encouraging each other. That's what it means to encourage one another. That's what each of us needs. You need a place where you can be encouraged. And just as importantly, if maybe not more importantly, where you can be a source of encouragement to other people as well. Some of you know the the name Truett Cathy. He was the founder uh, of Chick-fil-A. He said, how do you identify someone who needs encouragement? Answer, that person is breathing. That's pretty straightforward. I mean, here's a Christian guy who's got it all figured out. I mean, we all need encouragement. And and church ought to be a great place to get it. I mean, this ought not be the place where people suck it out of you. This ought to be the place where they give it to you. Uh, John Maxwell, who's written a lot of Christian books, uh, I remember him at a conference a number of years ago, said, everybody in their life has got fire lighters and firefighters. Uh, fire lighters go out of their way to keep your fire hot. Firefighters go out of their way to hose you down and burn out your flame. Now, you need to avoid firefighters when you can. 
But you need to learn how to be a fire lighter in somebody else's life. Now, I, I just asked you, when was the last time you just actually said to somebody, great job. I mean, way to go. Uh, it's so good seeing you here. I, I remember a couple of weeks ago, Joyce, when you walked into the back of the church. Do you remember what everybody did? They all clapped. They were encouraged to see you. Same thing with our visitors here. Everybody sees them today, and everybody's encouraged. Have you ever seen somebody you haven't seen for a while, and you go, oh, it's so good to see you here again. I mean, that feels so good. We need to be encouragers. I mean, there are people all around us who need that, so you need to make a point of it. Now, here's the second way the principle of reciprocity works. We need to challenge one another. Challenge one another. Verse 24 says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on to, toward love and good deeds. Now, uh, y'all know what a spur is? Well, yeah. well duh, y'all live in Texas, you ought to. It, it's that small little metal tool that cowboys wear on their boots. Uh, they're used to, they use them to kickstart a horse to get him start running or maybe even to get him to speed up along the way. And what the writer to the Hebrews says is we need to spur one another. He's saying we need to be willing to give other people a little kickstart in the right direction. Now, some people think uh, when they hear that word kickstart, that means that you got to, you know, whip on them with a stick and cut up. Don't be so lazy. Come on, pick it up, pick it up. Well, that's not at all what this is about. In fact, a good example of what it means to spur somebody on or kickstart I don't know if you've ever seen this. I, I've noticed this morning, about the last six months, there is a website out there called kickstart.com. You, you can look it up, kickstart.com. Kickstarting is a, crowd, a, 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 fund, a, a crowdfunding platform that invites people to get good ideas going by contributing small amounts of money. I've seen Christian artists who really felt compelled to get this next CD out but didn't have adequate funds, so they go to Kickstarter. And everybody will say, oh, uh, such and such person is going to put out a new album. Would you be willing to help them kickstart by donating a little bit of money? Uh, a movie a few years ago, I don't know if you ever read the book. I read the book, didn't see the movie. It's called Blue Like Jazz. was founded by Kickstarter. Movies like Wish I Was Here or Veronica Mars were all movies that were made by people who went to kickstarter.com, help fund something. Now, when I say we ought to kickstart people from time to time, we need to spur people on toward love and good deeds. See, our attitude ought to be, how can I help move someone forward? Now, as we look all around us, you know, ministries, activities of the church, people that are involved in each, each area, you know, who needs my help? I mean, what can I do to help this person move a little further down the road? Now, it's easy to complain uh, about what's wrong in a certain area of a church, or it's easy to complain about that area of the church, or what's wrong with this person in leadership, or that person in leadership. Uh, maybe you've heard that old saying, any fool can criticize, and most fools do. Uh, but here's my challenge to you. Rather than slurring one another, if there's such a word, maybe we need to focus instead on spurring one another toward love and good deeds. Let's remember that spurring means you approach a person and you approach them by saying, what can I do to help you? I mean, what resources do I have that can best be used to move you 
forward at this time in life. Now, here's the third part of reciprocity, and that's that we need to comfort one another. Maybe you remember some verses of a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to read them to you. They're from verses 32 to 34. It says, remember those earlier days after you had received the light. In other words, you remember those days when you first really understood what it meant to be a Christ follower? So when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison, joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Now, all the writer is talking about here is that at one time or another, each and every one of us has faced some hard times. And that's just a fact of life. And though these hard times are inevitable, no one should ever have to face these hard times alone. We need to be there for one another. Another famous person from history, Hippocrates, not Hippocrates, uh, Hippocrates, the wrong word there, Hippocrates, uh, the guy, the author, the uh, Hippocratic Oath that you'll probably see in most doctor's offices said, cure sometimes, treat often, comfort always. Now, when I saw that, I thought, how can we, how can we apply that quote to our spiritual lives? Well, let's think about it this way. Sometimes when someone is hurting, we can actually provide a cure. We're actually able to fix the situation for them. We're actually able to make that pain go away because we have the resources at our disposal to do it. Now, when we can provide a cure or a solution for someone who's facing hard times, we ought to do it. Now, there are also times when we don't, we might not have the resources to do it, to provide a cure, but we can help with the treatment. Now, I just heard a story last night about a man uh, whose name is David, and he was without a car. He didn't have the resources to buy one, so a couple of people in that church, who knew that he didn't have a car, helped him with the treatment. They could not buy a car for him, but they were able to do as much as they could. One of them offered to give him his children a ride to and from school every day. Another one of them offered to take David to his job every day, and they pledged to do this until David was able to make arrangements to buy his car. And it was announced last night that he had bought his car. See, when someone is facing hard times, you might not be able to make the problem go away. But maybe you can help treat it a little bit. So sometimes we can offer a cure. We gather together. Sometimes we can help with the treatment. And then there are times when people go through situations in which we're able to do absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing other than simply to be there for them. That's our way of showing comfort. There will be times when people will go through things in life. There will be times when people in this church will go through things that you just plain simply can't fix. You can't even offer much help. All you can maybe say is, I'm sorry, I care, I'm here for you, I'll pray. Now, it's what I've always called the ministry of presence. The ministry of presence, not P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, but P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, presence. You're just there. 
Have you ever gone to a funeral and you're walking through that line and you're wondering, what on earth can I say to these people when I get up there? Because I've never been in this situation where I've lost a, a child or a, a spouse or whatever. What am I going to say? And you just, you know, you don't want to say anything dumb, but you just kind of go through and you just kind of mumble like, I'm you know, sorry for your loss. And you just walk on. And then later, these people come up to you and they just say, hey, thanks for being there. It meant so much to me that you were there. That's ministry of presence. You are just there for people. Here's the fourth way in which this principle of reciprocity should be at work. We need to overcome with one another. Now, I like the final verse of Hebrews uh, 10. In verse 39, it says, But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Any football fans here? I mean, I'm a football fan. Uh, I don't know who you're a fan of. Uh, my daughter posted a picture the other day of a cupcake that used candy corn that showed hook'em horns on it. I wrote a note on it. I said, you know, they're going to get eaten up with regularity this season. Uh, maybe you're the guns up people from Texas Tech. You know, who knows? Maybe you're the, you know, the Baylor Bears. I don't know who you all are. Now, you may not be a fan of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Anybody here a Notre Dame fan? Uh, me neither. Oh, Quentin is? Oh, you heard him. Okay. But there's one thing you have to, there's one thing you have to say about the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Their fans and their players take pride in their tradition. I mean, they even got touchdown Jesus behind the one end zone. And their identity is kind of a top-tier team in college football. And even when they lose, they still walk off the field like they won the game. Now, you might wonder where that pride comes from. Well, as the players leave the locker room, they pass under a sign uh, over the doorway at the bottom of the stairs. And each player, as they walk out, reaches up and hits a sign before they run onto the field to remind themselves of who they are and why they are here. That's what it looks like. The sign says, play like a champion today. Now, the writer of Hebrews is basically saying the same thing to us as individual Christ followers. He's saying the same thing to us as a church. Live life like a champion. Why? Because that's exactly who we are. I don't know about you, but my Bible says we are more than conquerors. I mean, we're not just conquerors. We're more than conquerors. We are super-duper champions in Christ. We don't shrink back. We don't give up. We don't run away. We hold on to our faith. We hang in there. We hang on to Jesus to the end. Now, I know that there are times when each and every one of us wants to quit. We want to bail out. And if you're living like a lone ranger, you've got no tonto around, you just might. I mean, has anybody ever kind of come up to you sometime, just kind of slap you alongside the head and said, cut it out? Maybe you needed that. Maybe you needed that. That's why we need each other in a church. Uh, that's why we need other Christ followers in our, in our group, in our sphere. I mean, for some of them, they're the very people sitting next to you in the pew. Some of them may be sitting a few rows back, but there may just be other Christian people that you know who are going to be there for you, that are going to hang in there with, for you, and they're going to push you forward. Uh, we continue to remind each other. We are Christ followers. We're on the winning team. Not, I've made the joke before. I've read the whole Bible. I've read to the end. I hate to tell you the ending of the book, but we win. We come up as winners. We are not losers. 
We are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loves us. That's what this whole principle of reciprocity is all about. Together, we strive to bring out the best in one another. Now, it goes without saying that the only way we're able to do that is because we first have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We've got to get it settled in our own minds as we receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior that we are who he says we are. I mean, the Bible talks about all kinds of things that says we are, that we are sons and daughters of the king. Do you believe that or do you live like somebody on the street? That we are brothers and sisters of Christ. I mean, do you believe that? Uh, do you believe that he truly is the Prince of Peace who can bring peace into your life? You know, have you surrendered to him not only as Savior, but also made him Lord of your life? And see, when you've settled that whole issue, when he said that for by grace you've been saved, when all of those riches of God have been applied to your life through Jesus Christ, when the Holy Spirit has worked all of this out in your heart, and you say, yes, Lord, this, this is who I want to be, kind of a natural response is, now what? I still remember, not, it's not odd, I didn't really leave, I didn't leave him to Christ, I happened to be the conduit, but an elderly Russian soldier who came and confessed that he believed in Jesus and kept saying, I'm a child of God, I'm a child of God now. He was weeping, and I kept reassuring him that he was, and then he looked at me and he said, now what do I do? That's a good question, because justification has taken place. Now comes living the sanctified life. Now we start living like who we are told that we are. He was a child of God. How does a child of God live? He lives with other children of God. And he lives with them as brothers and sisters. See, we encourage one another. We help one another. In times of trouble, we're there for one another. We remind each other sometimes when we need to be reminded uh, because that we're, we're reminded that together we're destined to overcome whatever life may bring. So I'd say if you, you want to continue to have um, these days be your glory days and say that this, the best is yet to come, you need to, you need to hang together. I don't know who was it who said, if we don't all hang together, we'll hang separately. We hang together. I mean, make it your mission to bring out the best in other people and let others bring out the best in you. Now, as we wrap up today, I just want to take a quick look about what we've talked about in these last four weeks. Four weeks ago, we talked about the principle of renewal. What I told you is you can be as close to God as you want to be. But it's up to you to draw near to him. I mean, he's already drawn near to you. And Hebrews says, now, brothers, draw near to me. The old liturgy of the church, let us now draw near to God and confess our sins to God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus. We draw near to him. How close do you want to be? In week number two, we talked about reconnection. See, whenever you're ready, you can go back and you can pick up where your best days left off. I mean, if you did it then, you can do it again, and you can do it right now. You remember your best days spiritually? Guess what? You can be at that same place. That you need to be better than that. Last week, we talked about resolution. Remember, it's either the towel or the hat. <laughs> You can either throw the towel into the ring and quit, or you can throw your hat into the ring and challenge the champion. I mean, every day you decide which you're going to throw into the ring, the towel 
or the head. And then today we talked about reciprocity. Surround yourself with other believers. And in fact, it also talks about in the Bible how we are surrounded by a great, great cloud of witnesses to begin with who are cheering us on. Can you imagine, as we live our lives together, there's a crowd of witnesses in heaven who are kind of looking down going, you know, they're cheering us on, go get them, keep, keep at it. So surround yourself with believers who are as committed to you as you are to them. Uh, make it your mission to bring out the best in other people. Uh, and let others bring out the best in you. I guess I would just sum it up by saying, if you and I, as Christ followers... All of us together, as a Christ-following church, would begin to put these principles into practice. Uh, These days will be our glory days. And this time will be the time of our lives. May God grant it for the sake of Jesus. Amen.